0: And on this episode of Miami mic Up, I am pleased to welcome in uh, a legend in this market, uh, Miami Herald sports columnist and the star of the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. It's Greg
1: Cody. Greg Cody, thank you for uh, wow. joining me today. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm uh, happy to be here and... Um Uh, being referred to by you as a legend is uh, I don't know how accurate that is but it certainly is flattering so thank you
0: well it's certainly the case in my mind um Greg first question for you is actually the same one that I start everybody on this podcast with uh what is something recently outside of work that has brought you joy
1: wow man that's a very good question um outside of work uh I, I don't know whether this qualifies as work or not but um because I don't really consider my own podcast work, but uh, Yeti Blanc uh, from our podcast recorded an original song about me and my childhood growing up that actually brought me to tears. And so that that brought me joy. Jeremy, I have a four-year-old granddaughter, and almost every time I'm in her company or, or see her or speak to her, um, I feel a joy that... Mm. Uh, I never experienced before having a grandchild so I I've got so much gratitude in my life that it's it's almost hard to narrow that question down for me. <laughs> well well, you know, a little behind
0: the scenes, but actually when I recorded your podcast with Yeti and Chris, Yeti had just finished writing the song and oh, wow. played us a little acoustic version of it. Wow. And for Chris and I to hear and I and it wasn't every single line, it was like the first verse and chorus and I was moved let alone thinking about that finished product, and ultimately, you know, being able to hear that about your own life. Uh, it's a really wonderful song. I love Yeti; he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and that's really special. And you know, a similar answer to most folks: family, right? I mean, family is is bringing a lot of people joy these days. Um, yeah. And any chance, sure. to, I think the last couple of years has made all of us appreciate the time we have with with our loved ones. Um. But for us now, we will dive into a little bit of sports uh, before we get into your life and and your journey through your career. Um, and I want to start with with your expertise here in the Miami Dolphins. Um, obviously, they've sort of been one of the main talks of the NFL offseason in terms of new head coach and Mike McDaniel, the young sort of flashy offensive coach, bringing in Tyreek Hill in that major trade. Uh, Jalen Waddell and Mike Kosicki back, and now Tua at the helm of this offense. Greg, I'm just wondering your sort of general expectations of how good not only this offense, but this team can be as we head into the first preseason game this weekend.
1: Yeah, they've they've definitely gone all in uh, to surround Tua with all the weapons he needs to succeed. And in addition to what you just mentioned, they, they scored a huge hit in free agency with Teron Armstead, the the tackle who's, yep. uh, one of the big prizes in free agency. So yeah, they've gone all in. Um, uh, McDaniel seems like a, a fresh face. Uh, he's certainly, uh, more fun to be around than Brian Flores was. <laughs> Brian was very dour, mm-hmm. um, unsmiling and, uh, McDaniel's the opposite. Let's see how that translates. Cause he's never been a head coach before at any level, but right. excitement is excitement is very high and it should be, um, you know, if I were to bring my my professional wet blanket with me, I would note <laughs> that, um, unfortunately for Miami, the Buffalo Bills are supposed to be even better. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think the Dolphins, after two straight winning seasons and with the improvement they've made, they have to be a playoff team. You know, they, they can't be one of those narrow misses again. They, they have to make the playoffs. And Tua uh, has to sell his doubters on the idea that, hey, you gave me enough weapons and now look what I did with them. And right. and I think he can do that. I'm pro I'm pro Tua. Yeah, I'm excited
0: to see what what he can do and what, you know, McDaniel definitely knows how to win the press conference. Uh let's see oh, yeah. what happens when when the actual games come along cuz I think we're all sort of hoping that this offense is as fun as his press conferences have been, right? Like that's yeah. that's kind of the entertainment that we're looking for and and with Tua, like just like you said, at this point he's been surrounded with so much that it does make the evaluation theoretically a lot easier you know we all watched ryan Tannehill for so long we weren't sure is it the lack of weapons is it the offensive coaching any of that now tua has it all right out there the young you know genius offensive coach quote unquote and all of these weapons so it's exciting to see sort of w- what that's going to mean going into the season
1: yeah it, it's it's and uh, the running game i think is a very interesting factor that uh, i'll be curious to see how it plays out because they have a solid running back room. To me, they have four running backs who are all sort of like number two running backs. You know, <laughs> right. they they don't have the star running back, but they have four guys who are pretty good. And in McDaniel's hands, uh, let's see if, if that can translate into a dynamic running game.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's that's kind of what was the recipe for San Francisco the year they went to the Super Bowl, was using a stable of those guys, keeping yes. all of them fresh, And kind of going through it. So it's exciting to see. I can't wait to watch the first preseason game and see where they're at. Uh, Moving to another team down here in South Florida. Obviously, there's the Miami Heat still in the midst of the offseason. But it seems like we know where they're headed. It's either one final chance at a big swing, whether that be for Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell. But at the time, it doesn't look like that. Uh, It looks like this team will be running it back. So... You know, it looked like the Miami Heat could have been in position to make some bigger tweaks for B-list stars, right? Not the Durant, not the Mitchell, but some guys who maybe you wouldn't even call a star. But they decided either a big swing or we're essentially going to run it back. What do you think of that sort of mentality and the decision here ultimately to, to seemingly run it back with the group from last year?
1: Um. Let's let's see. Let's see if yeah. it's the right model because uh, it's it's a little bit unusual. You know, Pat Riley loves the whale, loves whale hunting, loves taking the big swing, and with Durant out there, um, gettable or or you know at least somebody you could cast the line for. I'm I'm so, sort of surprised they didn't make a move. But then again, they think that much of of Bam out of They they didn't mm-hmm. want to give up Bam in order to package a deal to get um, Durant. And and so I don't think they will. The one thing that concerns me, Jeremy, is that. Um, Boston got better at the top of the conference mm-hmm. and Miami has had a whisper quiet off season so far. And honestly, the, the, the biggest move Miami has, has made is losing PJ Tucker, <laughs> right. who was a pretty prominent player. They lost him to another East team. So, um, they've taken a little bit of a step back. I think Miami while, while Boston has done the opposite, uh, I don't see Miami as anybody's favorite to win the conference going in. I do see Miami in the usual role of, you know, they're they're the top one of the top four, and and they're going to have a a home court in the first round of the playoff. You know, they're the the Heat are relentlessly competitive. You know, yep. I, I trust Riley and Spolstra so much that you just know that whether they've made a big move to change or whether they're running it back, don't worry about the Miami Heat. They're going to be there and competitive.
0: Absolutely, and if ultimately. You know, It comes down to it and we get closer to training camp and it, it becomes obvious that Durant's not happening or Mitchell's not happening or one of those big moves. You got to imagine that there still might be a tweak or two left to the roster to sort of even things out and sort of balance where that rotation goes. But like you said... These other teams in the East did get a lot better, and so I'm intrigued to see ultimately, and this is the thing we talked about last year a lot too, right? It's all about the ascension of Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo as offensive weapons and whether or not you know those guys can help carry them. So it's always fun when you have the young stars and and you get to see it's almost similar to the Dolphins and seeing, all right, can you guys carry it? Um, But now I want to go back, gosh, a number of years uh, because I want to talk to you about when you first knew you wanted to be a sports reporter? Because to me, I think everybody sort of has that moment where either they're inspired by reading someone or, you know, inspired by a specific sport that says, okay, I need to be around this now. So for you, Greg, when did that moment come along of realizing, okay, I need to be a sports writer?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know that there was an epiphany. Uh, I, I think it happened quite by accident, to be honest with you, and um, it it makes me uh, sort of a believer in in fate in a way that I wouldn't otherwise have been because um, uh, I had no real interest in writing or journalism. Uh, but but a uh, a best friend of mine in high school um, happened to be on the the school newspaper, and I was looking for you know an, an extra credit or you know something back then and. And I guess there was an opening, and he said, "Hey, come on to the school newspaper." It was MacArthur High School in Hollywood, and the the school newspaper was called the High Times before they had to change it for political reasons <laughs> right. That had drug So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, I wind up on um, the school newspaper, uh, assigned to the sports department, <laughs> which was me wow. and another guy, and um, and we had a student advisor uh, at the time, uh, who ended up meaning so much to me that, that decades later through social media, I tracked her down and thanked her for what she'd meant in my career because, um, uh, she saw something in me. She nurtured me. Um, she saw that I had a writing talent. Uh, if not for, I was the first one in my, uh, family to, to go to college. If not for this woman, um, I don't think I would have even gone to college or pursued anything, uh, but but she wow. encouraged me in a way that makes me have such a great respect for uh, teachers, the, the the teaching profession, and especially the 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 cream of the crop who really know what they're doing and change lives and so that's how i got started into journalism that's unbelievable well and 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 so number
0: one just having a friend that's in that circumstance but to have a teacher who can help encourage you that way i think yeah that's so important because so much of this job in particular also comes down to confidence and knowing that when you're putting something down in words for other people to read that they'll be receiving it well. And so to yes. have a, a professor or a teacher who's encouraging you in that way, it can only be so helpful. And so for you, you decide to go to college, you decide to to get into this business. So what was your first role as a writer? What was your first stop like?
1: Well, after the high school paper, um, I was paid uh, <laughs> like $15 a column to write for one of these little community magazine type productions that uh that was you know they gave up for free in condominiums or something (laughs) uh and then in junior high or junior college um it was so-called junior college then not community college i again wrote for the school newspaper uh i had a great advisor there named max hall uh who i think to this day he's long long left us but he meant a lot to me as well and then when i was 17 years old i got hired by uh Jim Martz of the Miami Herald at that time, and um, uh, Jim is still around and another person to whom I have such gratitude for for being a huge part of my life. You know, had had I gone to that interview, uh, which I only knew about because my older brother saw one ad in the paper, uh, if I hadn't gone to that interview and been hired by Jim Martz, I think I would have just completely forgotten about it and, you know, gone to work at a drugstore or something. I, I don't imagine that I would have ever had the the drive to uh, to keep pressing for this. But Jim hired me and um, uh, I was a clerk in the Broward office uh, answering phones and and doing odd jobs. And I remember the the first phone, not, maybe not the first, that would be too dramatic. Sure. But uh, one of the first phone calls I ever took was from a young female voice. Um, can I, can I speak to Jim March, please? And I said, yes. Can I ask who's calling Chris Everett, who was like the biggest tennis player in the world at the time, even though she was like 18, but she was like the phenom. Yeah. And, um, holiday park where she trained was a mile from the the Herald office and Jim was the tennis writer. So how crazy, (laughs) um, my, my first phone call at the Herald was, was from, uh, Chris Everett. Uh, Wanting to speak to the guy who just hired me and and at that moment the thought occurred to me You know what? I have stumbled into what could be a pretty interesting job. That is fascinating
0: the idea that that within one of those first calls You're like, okay I think I'm sitting in the right place now. Yeah. This is this is probably the right place for me to be, and it's all going to sort of work out. So do you remember maybe the first event that – because you started so young. So do you yeah. remember the first event that you covered as a young buck reporter of sort of being out there and going like, wow, I'm actually doing this yeah. now. This oh, is sure. my job.
1: Yeah, and in, in fact, um, I, I, I got my license a little later than most kids of that time, and uh, I didn't even – drive uh i went to my interview with jim martz uh on a city bus um and my first assignment was to write the bowling uh, a broward bowling column amazing <laughs> but my first uh actual writing assignment i think was um uh i went to cover a high school football game at pinecrest high and uh which was a few miles from the office and um I came back all excited and I, I wrote my story on uh triplicate paper and uh and and that's how my career began. And um and that was gosh, fifty years ago pretty much. That that would have been like uh late nineteen seventy-two or early seventy-three, something like that. So yeah, it's uh it's been a long A long ride.
0: (laughs) Well, and so obviously the industry has evolved quite a bit as you've been in it. But I imagine that with the mentors that you had, some of which you've already mentioned, whether it was at the Herald or earlier, you've learned a lot from them. And I imagine there's some advice that you're able to take from, from those days 50 years ago that's applied to your entire career. So can you think of any advice that you were given early on that sort of stayed with you in that way as whether it be as a storyteller reporter that you know has stuck with you
1: yeah yeah for sure um in in terms of reporting i'm a big believer in that it's all in the details you know if if i'm describing uh interviewing someone over lunch uh i need to tell people what they're eating particularly if it's anything the least (laughs) interesting you know uh, you know, do they like mustard on, uh, ketchup on their hot dog, which is uh, to me an abomination of food, but, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the details. I'm a big believer in, uh, conversational writing. Uh, you know, I, I like to write as I speak, like pretty casually without yeah. stilted laying, you know, little things like that, that, um, you learn and you adopt and, uh, sort of fine tune over the years, um, uh, you know, and I, I've also learned from mentors of mine that uh, a sports columnist in particular needs different uh, gears. Uh, the analogy I was given is, you know, you if you're a pitcher, you, you have to have more than the fastball. You can't just write a hard-hitting column. The next day, you got to make people smile or you got to bring a tear to their eye or you need to come at them with different pitches and, and off-speed stuff. And I think that's what I've really strived for in my career is to be an unpredictable writer. You're not going to know whether my next column is going to be hard hitting or or make you laugh or uh, be emotional or something like that.
0: Wow. I can't get over that analogy. I think that's terrific in terms of the way that we all have to approach sort of sports analysis these days. Right. Because so many yeah. of us, the lines have blurred so much between columnist and reporter and podcaster and TV yes. personality and all of that that now there's little bits of opinion that sort of leak in everywhere. And so the ability of... Uh, no matter who you are within sports media, to be able to sign of kind of keep people guessing is really important because that's the only way you draw people back. So I think that's yeah. that's amazing advice for for anybody getting into this now too. Um, but for you, I know there's been a number of uh, I'll say huge personalities that you've covered over the years. I mean, between Shula and Riley and Schnellenberger, and I'm sure a number of others at UM who uh, you know I'm not even thinking of. Right. Is there any particular character amongst the bunch that stands out as? this was the most unique person that I ever spent a significant amount of time covering.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, you're right about that cavalcade of personalities I've covered. And, and five minutes before I came onto this show with you, um, I was having an email exchange with Jimmy Johnson about oh, something, my uh, about ha- having him on my podcast, uh, uh, fairly soon. And, and so he, amazing. you know, he was a very much a larger than life personality when I covered him at the university of Miami. Um, the, the first person I ever covered uh, who I absolutely adored was uh, Ray Hudson of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers way Love back in Ray the N.A.S.L. days. Raymond was um, a quote machine and loved the media and admitted to me once that at halftime of a match, he was already concocting his post-game quotes. That's amazing. And and, and the, only, the only other person uh, I, I never – had anyone in my life that media friendly except for Ron Frazier, the legendary uh, Miami Hurricanes baseball coach, who would uh, uh, he this was mildly unethical. But one time um, at the College World Series, it was a night game and I was going to be right on deadline. I might not even get the result in the paper. So at the, in in the hotel lobby, the the afternoon of the game, I said to Ron, Ron, I need you to give me a quote right now, a winning quote and a losing quote amazing and he did and he could not have been more cooperative he gave me two great quotes that's awesome uh, without specifics obviously just generic quotes, but and and again mildly mildly unethical but the reader didn't know statute of limitations is passed on that one (laughs) yeah and the next morning i had a quote from ron frazier now i didn't say it was after the game i just implied (laughs) that but you know that was a corner i cut that um that you could have only done with Ron. I mean, it, you know, I, I would never have dared ask Don Shula to do the same for right. me before a Monday night game. <laughs> but um, yeah, but no, there've been there've been plenty. Uh, Pat Riley has always been great to cover. Um, so many, so many over the years, just too many to name. Well, thinking of of
0: both of the guys you just named there, so was fortunate enough to get to to meet Ray um, and just experience. The dialogue back and forth between he and Steve Shapiro uh, off (laughs) mic, off camera, before he would come in and do 7 Sports Extra when I was producing over at Channel 7. And some of those conversations are some of the funniest I've ever witnessed in any sort of sports context, because Ray Hudson is, like you said, quite the character. There's also the differences between columnist and reporter. And for you, obviously, that role changed at some point to become a columnist. So what is it that you enjoy most about being a columnist that you view as something you get to experience in your job that nobody else does?
1: I would say I love the variety of it. I I love the idea that um, I'm not covering... A team. I'm not covering a beat. I'm not talking to these same people about the same things every day of my life. I did that. I covered the Dolphins exclusively in '90 90 and '91. I covered UM exclusively during the Jimmy Johnson era in '84 to '88. So I, I I paid my dues, and before mm-hmm. that, the Strikers. Uh, so I paid my dues as a beat writer. But um, I would say since around '95, when I became a full-time general columnist it's been great. And it isn't for the ego. It isn't getting to spout my opinion. For me, it's the variety I enjoy. Mm. And the idea of, you know, every once in a while, uh, I'm not so much assigned in a column, a column as a a boss will suggest one or, hey, we really, we really need you at the the heat game tomorrow night or whatever. But 90% of the time, I write exactly what I want to write, you know, and I try not to write the same thing twice in a row. I try not to write two dolphin columns in a row or two Marlins columns in a row. You know, I try to really be all over the map. I try to have variety in terms of writing local columns and writing national topics. Yeah. Uh, As we mentioned before, mixing the humor and the pathos and the hard hitting. Um, So that's what I enjoy most about my job, just the sheer variety of it. And in
0: being in that position, going back to what you were talking about before, you covered a number of different teams over the span of time. Is there a single season or a single team that stands out as this was my favorite season to cover a team as a reporter, whether it be a group of guys that were particularly fun to interact with or, you know, the success of a team that made it, you know, a blast for you?
1: The the ones that jump out to me, even as you were asking the question, um, I would say the the '84 Dolphins, when Dan Marino was blooming from a great rookie into a record-setting superstar with the most exciting offense in the league, that season comes to mind. Um, the Panthers, uh, uh, Florida Panthers, unexpected Stanley Cup run in '96 and Van Beesbrook and and some of those fun guys that was a fun locker room those were a bunch of blue collar guys other teams castoffs all coming together and making magic rubber rats flying all over the <laughs> ice um the uh the, the the first year of the big 3 when lebron came down here more recently that season comes to mind um you know i've i've always said that the most boring thing to cover is a 500 team you know, I uh, uh, I wish ill against no team, but the season the Dolphins were threatening to go zero sixteen. That that was more fun to cover, frankly, of, than of if course. they had gone seven and nine. So, right, of course. You know, so I'm I'm looking for I, I'm I'm looking for stories to write that are interesting to write. You know, right. that's what that's what I like. But uh, I definitely want it, to. It's a misnomer that. Uh, Journalists are are cheering for bad news because that sells papers. I don't know where that ever got started. Fans want to read about good news and and uh, they want to read about good stuff. And I want to write about good stuff. It's a lot more fun to write about Dan Marino breaking records than it is writing about for five years in a row. Whether Ryan Tannehill's ever going to be good enough, you know, a thousand percent. Yeah. So uh, I, I, and I like where, where we're at right now. There's so much to write about locally and nationally that uh, I am rarely, if ever at a loss for column topics, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. This is a time where, where all of our teams down here are certainly interesting in one way or another, regardless of what their records are. There, there's interesting storylines there and that's, Hey, look, I'm grateful for it too. I've got to sit here and and talk about it once a week. So it's certainly a good time to be working in, in sports media down here. Something that, that, stands out is obviously greg you incorporate like you said humor into whether it was your reporting or into your columns when did you actually know you were funny though because i think that takes a level of okay i now know i can make people laugh with the written word and so i have the confidence to inject that here because it's not something that if you do it poorly comes across well particularly in sports right
1: you're 100 percent right and uh You know, Levittard has said to me many times over the years, it's it's hard to write funny. You know, it's hard to be Dave Barry, um, Mm. which which I don't liken myself to. But, you know, I've always had a sense of humor. Uh, I was a devotee of David Letterman Mm. for years and years. That type of humor I enjoy. Um, So I I, I think I've always had the knack for it. That's always been my personality. You know, Um, it's why. It's why my own podcast tends to be very personality driven and, right. and air, airing on the side of maybe more weight toward humor than toward actual sports. Um, because the, the Miami Herald, frankly, wanted me to do a straight sports podcast. I, sure. The, the original name they were torn around with was Sports 305 or something like that. And it was going to be the basic sports podcast where the whole thing is uh you know two of this and analysis 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 right and i wanted it to be a personality driven podcast that would make people smile and laugh and and it's uh it it certainly makes it more enjoyable for me to do and hopefully for the listener as well because and another point is 80 percent of what i write is pretty serious yes and so i don't want to be pretty serious all the time if i'm going to have a pretty serious writing job. Uh, I want to have an outlet on my own podcast or on the Levitard show to enjoy myself a little bit more.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and, and thanks to guys like you and Dan sort of setting that tone, the rest of us are able to kind of swoop in and do some of that stuff too, right? If not for your podcasts mutually and, and columns and that sort of, uh, attitude here in Miami, I don't know that that something like this podcast would have been able to be more interview based like this, where it could be exploring careers. It might've been just like you just talked about sports 305. It might've just been straight analysis the entire right. time and being able to dive into these things, whether funny or sentimental, you know, it, it, it's important to me to be able to sort of just tell stories in a way that, that humans find interesting and, and, right. You know, you brought up Dan and and the show over there. Obviously, what's so fun about their show is that everybody sort of just plays a role. But what's awesome is that when you come in once a week, it it shifts the dynamics, but also in a way where it just allows everyone to be so complimentary to what it is that you and Dan and Stu are doing as as a trio, as opposed to their duo. Yeah. So. Not to go back to the you know joy question, but other than specifically working with your son, what is it that that brings you so much joy about being a part of that unit?
1: Wow, there's there's a lot there. Uh, you yeah, know, I mean, first of all, Dan and I have been close friends since the early '90s. I think since he I first met him, he was a, an intern at the Miami Herald, either just out of U.M. or about to graduate. I can't recall which, and we immediately hit it off and um, It's been a very interesting dynamic between the two of us because I started off as his mentor. Right. You know, and then his career uh, is is just catapulting. And um, if if I didn't like him so much or more important than that, have so much respect for him and, and so much appreciation for his talent. Uh, I might have been really jealous and like, I don't want anything to do with this guy who's all of a sudden a bigger star at the Miami Herald than I am. What the hell is going on here? But it never got to that. And Dan and I have always been friends. And, um, you know, my ability to to be on his show once a week uh, is so much fun for me. And it's been great for me because I don't pretend that my podcast would be nearly as successful without my – affiliation with the levitard show uh, i i think it, it would i think it would be successful but not as successful so um yeah, you know i'm i'm so grateful for a lot of things and one of them is that thanks in part to dan i've gotten a real uh what i would call a late career bounce i'm in my 60s mm-hmm. and i may be as popular as ever and i and i say that pretty objectively between the the Monumental success of of my podcast, and it's the the biggest podcast at the Miami Herald, and that's one amazing. of the biggest in the McClatchy chain uh, in terms of downloads and and stuff like that. Um, because of Levitard, largely because of Levitard, that's a late career bounce between the podcast and Levitard show that that I just didn't expect. And it co- and it comes at a time when uh, the newspaper industry is is finding it rough. You know so instead of sort of dying on the vine and and watching my industry uh sort of suffer a little bit around me um, uh, i'm able to find success with the podcast and on the levitard show and it's just it's been a great uh a bounce for me i do i actually want to go to that
0: evolution in in just a second but i i have to stick with levitard show for a second and, and talk about how that's given you an opportunity first there and now through the greg cody show to work with your own son And working with Chris, Um, you know, I I so um, I so appreciate watching it because for me, um, I think about the days that I got to spend with my dad as my head baseball coach and travel ball and what I wouldn't give to be able to sort of recapture that energy and those moments now in in the workplace. So, you know, I know you're you're obviously grateful to have that experience with him. Um, I'd love to hear you know why that's the case but also if there's anything that comes to mind of like oh we butt heads on this all the time or something that bothers you about working with your son
1: uh well um it it's very interesting uh the, the whole dynamic of of doing the podcast with uh christopher and i still call him christopher yeah yeah and, <laughs> and also being in the in the levitard show studio with him i came home from the studio just today uh with a letter uh actually a a postcard from a fan um thanking me for saying to me how much it meant to see Christopher and I in our father-son relationship on the air. You know, and, and I embrace that. Um it's sort of incidental a little bit on the Levitar Show, but I embrace it on my podcast. Um, because I think it's a big dynamic of the that makes people interest and and the reaction we get to that um tells me that we have something there you know i didn't invent the wheel i mean hell dan did a show with poppy his dad (laughs) um but um and and i think the dynamic works because it's all over the map and and just as our any father-son relationship is sometimes it's emotional and almost teary and sometimes it's uh listeners getting mad at christopher because he's disrespecting me or (laughs) right or we're we're butting heads and arguing or calling each other idiots or you know that that's that's sort of the relationship we have you know that's if we're off the air and and we're at home getting ready to eat a sunday dinner together and we're going back and forth about something ridiculous and arguing and uh that's just you know uh but but i'm so proud of christopher because um I have seen him grow so much uh, because of his relationship with the Levitard show. Just grow professionally, you know. Mm. Um, He obviously got his foot in the door because of my relationship with Dan. But anybody who knows Levitard, Levitard is running a business. Absolutely. You know, And, and Christopher gets a shot as an intern because of me. But if he ain't cutting it, he's not lasting long. Right. And, and Dan's going to find a very nice, polite way <laughs> to suggest that Christopher do something else for a living. <laughs> right. Instead, uh, Christopher has really uh, earned the footing he has there as as one of the most respected producers in that room. Uh, he does a great job um, because of his association with that climate and that staff of uh, people, that ensemble cast. Uh, Christopher has become smarter. He's become more intelligent. He's become more conversational. Uh, he's just grown in a way from the teenage Christopher to the man in his mid thirties. He's grown in a profound way, and uh, some of it is uh, is his relationship with that show. I think it's so. That's what's so
0: obvious about the authenticity that you guys have on mic or on camera is that sort of pride that you show there like it comes through even when you guys are in you know whatever bickering phase that that might be right like that doesn't happen if there's not an immense amount of love there and i think that's why you get a letter from a listener who says hey you know thank you for showing us this father-son relationship that's there and it's also such a you know whether it's father-son father-daughter mother-daughter mother-son someone's introducing a kid to sports, right? And oftentimes that's a parent. And so to be able to, in this sports world, hear the conversations between a father and a son that also a lot of the time don't have to do with sports. It is something that's special and, and unique. And I think that's why people enjoy it. But you mentioned yourself that you've watched sort of journalism change over time, this industry change over time. And obviously, you know, you've been part of adapting with that. Right. The idea of a podcast, obviously, not not even 10 years ago would have been like, oh, well, all right, I guess we're doing a podcast where now, yeah. you know, you have your own that that's wildly successful. So what do you view is as the most drastic change for the better for journalism and the most drastic change for the worse for journalism in recent years?
1: Um i love the advent of the podcast um i i do I, th- I think it's very personal you know the the sound of someone's voice is is very intimate you know it i think it i think the podcast allows people to connect with me and to feel as if they know me in a way that the written word doesn't and, Absolutely. and i think that's you know i i think that's part of it i you know, when I'm talking into the microphone on a podcast, I'm very aware that um, I'm talking directly to people who may live uh, a mile away from where I'm recording, and, and they may live in Australia, and they may live in Texas, and but they're listening for a reason, and I want to connect with that person. You know, I, I on some level, I want to connect with them. I, so I think the advent of the podcast has been really a positive and, and that's only going to get bigger. The The negatives, uh, the only negatives I feel are all associated with the downturn of the business. You know, the right. idea that I used to be on a staff of uh, 25, 28 writers and 10 editors, and now the staff is seven or eight writers and, and two editors. And it just makes it more difficult. And the writer, the columnist, uh, me, uh, I'm expected to do a lot more than I used to. Certainly. You know, I'm writing my own cut lines and headlines and Putting my own photos in there and doing stuff that editors used to always handle, right. which is fine. Uh, it, it's not a complaint, but it's it's just something more that you're expected to do, and um, that's that. I would say that's a, that's a negative.
0: All right, so a uh, couple more questions before I let you go here. Um, most important that I bring this up: uh, your petition to change Mount Rushmore <laughs> to Mount Gregmore. For those who don't know. Uh, Greg does essentially top five lists on uh, his podcast that are packaged as Mount Gregmore. Right. Uh, if someone reaches the Mount Gregmore, th- that is an elite status. <laughs> um, so a couple of different topics that I'm searching for a Mount Gregmore from you, or we can just sort of have a general conversation about them. I'm going to give you three different topics here. You can just pick one and we can sort of go with it. Um, yesterday after the show, uh, and it was mentioned today on the show, Jessica and I were having a conversation about musicals so we could uh-huh. talk your, your favorite musicals. Um, I, in a moment that we were, uh, I was sitting on zoom earlier today, heard you singing blackbird and thought, all right, favorite musical <laughs> artists, that'd be a place to go. Cause I, I have a feeling we actually have some mutual ones okay. or, or South Florida sports media members in the history of the market where you could just put a, a list together of some of your your top sports media members in the history of this market. So is there is there a topic that stands out? And I can also filibuster here for a second to to let you think of who um, some of those you, people are. You know,
1: I'd, I'd be happy to, to take a shot at, at at all three. I'm probably the least qualified on the musical end of it. Um, I love it, though. I'd yeah, love to I mean, hear what you like. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I saw, I was lucky enough to see Hamilton, of course, oh. and that would have to be, one, um, I don't know if it I, I saw the the live theater production of the Lion King. I don't know. Yeah, that that's great. A yeah, musical? it qualifies. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Put it on the list.
1: Yeah, I, I like uh, those Those two come immediately to mind. Um, you know, I, I went in to see Hamilton uh, sort of with a, a bad attitude like, oh, man, this is not going to live up to the hype. And <laughs> right. But, but I absolutely loved it. I, I, the cast was great. The songs were great. Everything about it. I, I just adored um, my my in my early life, I don't remember loving musicals as much. Like uh, the musicals that would have been popular in the seventies, I don't really resonate with me. So it's more of the modern day musical. Yeah, then. I would say so. All right, and so
0: then yeah. musical musical artists who who are your who are your uh, your groups or or individuals that stand out for you as, as some of the greatest ever?
1: Yeah, um, I would say my my musical heroes are um, Elton John and Mavis Staples. Oh from, man, from two great centers. yeah, great choices. That's amazing. Yeah. And um uh, big fan of Jack White, um big fan of Brandy Carlisle. I'm all, all over tremendous. the map with, with my musical taste. Um uh, I, I'm a big uh, I'm a big reggae fan, uh old, old school reggae. Uh you know, I consider the the holy trinity to be Bob Marley, uh Jimmy Cliff and um uh, Peter Tosh. <laughs> Damn, I, sorry Peter, I almost forgot. <laughs> yeah. You. Uh, uh, those are the big 3 for me. Uh, uh big reggae fan. Cool. Um you know, and and of course the Beatles and the Stones, you right. know. I'm, I I got my hard rock bone too. So
0: Did you what's your of all of those artists is there one that you've ever seen in in concert specifically that stands out as like wow, I feel so grateful to have seen this person at this point in time?
1: Yeah, we you know, I'm I'm happy to have seen just about everybody that I've ever cared to see that's meant something in my life. i um, awesome. I've, I've never been like a, a huge Neil Diamond fan, but I, I respected his career so much that I wanted to see him one last time. And we saw him live uh, really just before he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and retired from performing. So I was grateful to have seen that. Uh, seen Elton John many times in concert. Um, flew to New York City to see Brandy Carlisle and Mavis Staples at Madison Square Garden. Together? Um yeah, yeah. Holy they were cow. Oh, oh my yeah, God. No, what, was, a oh, what a <laughs> show. What a show. It's crazy. And, and it, was, it was the first time Brandy Carlisle, who was used to playing small arenas, right uh, played Madison Square Garden. I mean, she blew up when she performed at the Grammys uh in 2020, I think it was. Yeah. Her career took off. She was one of those famous overnight sensations 20 years later exactly who'd yeah. been making great music
0: forever oh, but, yeah. but just sort of became that's the i believe it's um one of the the great stories of that i believe is rem who said like i believe the quote from them was it was oh you know what does it feel like to be you know an overnight sensation and they were like i don't know 10 years was overnight
1: right. you know like it just it's taken yeah, all yeah. of this
0: time you could say we're overnight all you want
1: yeah, I, I I went through my REM uh era as well. In fact, I just heard uh, uh Man on the Moon came on Sirius XM channel today and I had to crank that up. Uh.
0: It's uh yeah, I I love a lot of those artists as well. I I'm I'm very grateful to have uh once seen uh Billy Joel where Elton John came out at the concert and played Crocodile Rock with Billy Joel and it was super fun and I was like I was a little kid and I was like I'm I'm pretty sure this is a moment. Like, I'm pretty sure this is something that I'm going to have been really grateful to have been able to witness. Um, Yeah,
1: my my wife um, loves Billy Joel and and Jimmy Buffett in particular. So we've seen... You know, I'm a, I'm a parrot head once every couple of years as well. <laughs> You're a big concert guy, I, as am
0: I. Yeah. I love I love checking out bands in concert and any anybody that you can get to see. I'm I'm trying to now more now that we're you know, gosh, I, it's still you know a little tough to go into big crowds and stuff like that sometimes, and, and specifically yeah. in intimate vi- environments. Uh, but I'm trying to just go out to like the clubs here, like Culture Room, and see random bands right. that I don't even know who they are because it's worth just seeing some live music.
1: Um, I have to tell you, um. Music, if you know, if, if you ask me just very generically, what's what, what are the truly important things in your life? You know, I, by rote, I'm going to say family and friends. Um, almost by necessity, I'm going to say sports. Right. But uh, music is, is has been a bigger, more emotional part of my life than sports even. And, um, mm. it, you know, if, if you force me to name a regret and I don't have many. It's that I never learned to play the piano, uh, which which has always been something I would love to just picture myself being able to sit down and play the piano. And there's no reason, out of just sheer laziness, I never took lessons. Learn it now. You can learn it now. It's not, trust me, if I could do it, you could do it. I'm... I've learned a little
0: bit, and a little bit goes a long way. Just learning just a few chords, and you can yeah. sit down and at least make it feel like you know something. All right. Well, That's as soon as you support, start giving lessons, i tell you. Uh, all right. No, I, I'll be able to. I could yeah. give you like like five, five pointers that uh, were given to me when I first started doing lessons okay. that basically give you the opportunity to play like every single Beatles song ever written. It's really easy. I, I you actually know? have
1: one of these things. This uh, is my oh office. my
0: god, Greg. This all right. I'm actually well. At some point, I'm gonna just like try to write down a few things and. I'll, I'll get them to you in one of the days we're in studio <laughs> together. Um, okay, that's all yeah. right. So before we wrap up, I do just want to give you uh, a last chance here to pitch uh, the Greg Cody show, obviously already wildly successful, bigger audience than I have here. But for those who are listening to this who do not listen to the Greg Cody show, what do you believe makes it so unique and, and a must listen uh, for anybody who's listening to this podcast?
1: Right. Well, thank you for that. And, and I've enjoyed being on with you, Jeremy. I, I think the world of you and uh, support you and in every way, Um I, I think anybody, you know, the, the, the easy answer is anybody who enjoys my Tuesdays or whenever I'm on the Levitard show is is going to enjoy my podcast because it's a lot of me and it's a lot of Christopher. And I'm happy to introduce people to Yeti Blanc, our third voice who don't know him. He's very talented. He's brought a lot to the show in terms of music and production and all oh, yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah, I, You know, our show the heartbeat of our show is the father-son dynamic between Christopher and I because it's real. You know, he's in his 30s, I'm in my 60s. Um, some of what we talk about is is pretty real and emotional, and some of it's just ridiculous and frivolous. And you know, we're a variety show. We we talk a little bit of sports. We talk some national, some local, and but but mostly we want to make you smile and laugh and and have conversations, and and we want you to hear us as. Uh, the friends who come around once a week and that you want to be around. And the podcast drops every uh, every Monday morning, and, and we're so grateful that uh, people seem to like it. I know the show is uh, certainly that
0: for me. Um, thank you, Greg, for the kind words. Obviously, you know I think the world of you as well. Uh, started with the introduction, can end here with the conclusion, but a legend here in this market and beyond. Uh, Greg Cody, thank you for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up. Thank you, Jeremy. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami mic Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or Toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.